Nothing beats our stories. Welcome to the campfire. Join me, Ben Zoldan, and my guests as we explore all kinds of topics. This platform exists to inspire human spirit. Period, that's it. Nothing's off limits, and you're gonna hear from everybody. Thought leaders and non-thought leaders, CEOs and non-CEOs, authors and non-authors. What you're gonna really hear is conversations that matter, that get to the heart of the human condition, and stories that inspire. Freddie, do you remember how you introduced yourself when we first met, I don't know, like a couple months ago? Well, there's, yeah, I, I actually do, actually. Um, it's, it, it's something that's kind of developed over the years, but basically I tell people I was the only white guy in an all-black band called Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> so that's the quick one. But uh, basically what I do is I take the power of music and I show people how melody, harmony, and rhythm can show up in everything you do on a daily basis in the way you live your life through business and through personal interactivity. There's two things that make me insecure. When I talk to somebody who's a really, really good athlete, because I always wanted to be an athlete, but I, was, I, I'm not, I wasn't an underachiever. I just wasn't a great athlete. And then number two, when I talk to a, a musician, because I grew up in a, in a family of what I thought were pretty good musicians. And, uh, and I want to share with you, if, if this is cool, Freddie, how I got into music. You know, my parents always had to like, you know, hammer away at me to practice. And I hated practicing. So I was just always a hack, you know, paradiddle, paradiddle, you know, for a half hour a day when you're 13 years old. Yeah. Like ain't the most fun. At least it wasn't for me. So I kind of gave up, gave up my, you know, I played, played drums for about a handful of years, but my whole life, I was always the kind of guy, like if I went to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah or a wedding or at the mall, there was a band. I was always like, damn, I hope the drummer breaks his hand right now. Cause like my fantasy was like, you know, someone's going to get on the microphone and say, is there a drummer in the house? Right. That was always my fantasy. Sure. Never happened. So I gave up the drums. And for my 40th birthday, my family brought, bought me a drum set as a surprise. And I was so stoked and I started to play again. But once again, paradiddle, paradiddle, you know, for a half hour a day, ain't my jam. So I just kind of played with headphones every once in a while. And then my buddy who lived in the neighborhood was like, dude, come play with us. And he was a pretty good musician, a former musician. Um, but, you know, his career took him in different directions. And he and a bunch of old dudes um, played in this little band. And after a few weeks, I finally said yes. And I was so excited, but I was super nervous. So like, as, as I was going to play, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I brought my drumsticks and my cymbals. And, uh, and I remember walking into this dude's like home studio and I was like, hey y'all, you just gotta know this, that like, I'm kind of rusty. You know that, like if you haven't played tennis in a while and you get on you're like, hey, I'm kind of rusty and like this. So I was like, I was like freaked out. So yeah. I was like trying to lower the bar sit down, we start to play. And I swear to you, every five minutes, I'd be like, whoa, whoa everybody, time out, stop. I get my like, my, <laughs> my bearings again. And I'd be doing that for like, like every five minutes. And I don't think that's the best thing for a drummer to do. No. <laughs> right? <Just death. laughs> right, so, so we're playing for like an hour. And this was like my first time I ever played with, with people. And I'm like a, a grown middle-aged man. Mm. And like after about an hour, these guys are like, I think they had enough of me. They're like, dude, you got to chill out, bro. Just play. Like, okay, let's go out. We're going to go outside. We're going to smoke some weed. So I was like, all right. So I smoked some weed. Now I'm even more paranoid and fucking hungry. And I'm like, worse. I go back and I'm like, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And the night ended and they never invited me back again to play. And... I felt like I was fired from my job. 
like I was more let like just deflated from that than like any job or sale I ever lost or anything like that. I was like, Christ, this was like my chance to play with people. And like a few years goes by, fast forward, same guys are like, dude, our drummer, they had a band now, they had assembled stuff, their drummer, you know, uh, I think left, left town and moved away and he's like, come back and play with us. So I go back and play. This is literally like cut to five years later mm. and the same exact thing happens. I sit down with them. I'm like, ah, and I'm so in my head. I'm so in my head. And then finally this guy who plays the guitar, he's a kick-ass musician. He's like, Ben, stop, Jesus. And he like, he like, and he goes, just look at my hands. So like in the moment, I was like super scared, right? So I just looked at his hands and he's playing. And then all I would do is like follow his hands. And it was like, it's all I was doing. And then he would switch. And, and all I did was like watched him. And for some reason, everything changed. And I had that experience for the first time as a middle, you know, 40 plus year old dude. I had the first experience where it was like, you know, when people, well, people said to me, when you play music, you drop into a zone and it's a magical zone that that happened that night. Mm. And I feel like in life, that's kind of like, I'm not pursuing my musical career, although I you know, play with some guys, but I feel like there's a lesson in that, in how we collaborate with people. And I try to remind myself that all the time, but I spend so much time in my head where I'm just so self-conscious and insecure and worried about my own that, I, that I'm never listening to the world. So that to me is my, I, I, I had to get that off my chest because when I talk to a, a, a musician, I, I get nervous. Do you, have, do you have an experience that taught you about, do you have a dumbass experience? Oh, I have a bunch of dumbass experiences, but uh, you know, but just hearing what you had to say, I've been there before, where you're so worried about the details and all the technical aspects of things that you forget that you just sometimes have to feel the, feel the rhythm of the people around you. And that's basically what he was saying, you know, just feel my rhythm, get in sync with me. That's what he was saying. And so uh, I can identify with that. I was, one of my really crazy stories is I was playing with Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, one of my idols, right? Yeah. American treasure, a living legend, right? And he picked one of his songs and everyone knows Stevie Wonder's songs, but he picked a, a, one of his tunes that I didn't know, a song called Always. And because of that, excuse me, is that Stevie calling? That is Stevie Wonder calling. Hey, Freddie, don't tell that story, man. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't tell that story. So the bottom line with that is I didn't know the chords. So Stevie Wonder is next to me. We were doing a benefit. It was right after 9-11 at the Staples Center. Uh, no, not the Staples Center, the Forum. Staples Center wasn't yet. It was at the Forum uh, where the Lakers at the time were playing all their basketball games about 20, 19 years ago. And so he's screaming in my ear, B flat, G minor nine. He's, he's telling me the chords of his own song. Very embarrassing, everybody. You don't want Stevie Wonder telling you how to play a song. So that was one of my most embarrassing ones. All right, well, <laughs> what do you do when you're on stage with Stevie Wonder and you forget the chords? You listen to him. You don't keep playing. And the nice thing, I'm gonna give you one thing. There's 12 keys in music, 12 keys on the piano, right? And there's 12 keys. 
eight times out of 12, you're gonna be right. Because most scales are eight notes. And that means two out of three times, even if you don't know what's going on, you're gonna be right. So I found two or three of the notes that I could work while he was singing. And then I learned it and I adjusted. Right. It was just an embarrassing moment. Right. But in other words, I stayed in the game. I didn't quit playing and I kept listening to him. Right. I just put my attention on him, not on my brain because my brain was failing. It's kind well, of similar to your story. It was like the guitar player told you, hey, look at my hands. Stephen Wonder said, listen to what I'm telling you and look at my hands. Yeah, here's the thing I don't get. I'm like the biggest hack when I play, but these dudes now invite me back. And the only thing that changed was I can now follow someone's hands. Like, and I, and I wonder if like, that's the, I don't know if it's the glue. You have this model that you're bringing all your experience. You're a Grammy award musician. You played with what Prince, Madonna, Carlos Santana, um, Al Jarreau, Earth, Wind and Fire. So these like once in a generation type of people who are as good at their craft as anybody in the world is at anything they do. And I, I, I sometimes feel as I observe people, I have this stupid book called What Great Salespeople Do. And it was never designed to be, I, I didn't write this book to be about what great salespeople do. I just wanted to observe what people that I emulated, what they were like, people who are putting their handprints on the world, people that just got it. I wanted to say what great people do, but I didn't feel qualified. Like, am I, you know, you have to be some kind of moral authority to say great people, but just people who got it in life. And I feel like with great musicians, cause I'm so in awe of people who really get it. Like, was there a, how do people get it? Was there, was there, did something in your life happen where you went from kind of going at it and struggling and clawing and digging and then something happened and you just got it? I practiced my butt off. You know, the whole 10,000 hours that uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about, you know, uh, I probably have practiced 100,000 hours. I'm, I'm really meticulous about practicing and preparation. I think it's really... I think, I think that if you show up to a gig, and that Stevie Wonder story is not, that was a spontaneous gig that I didn't have a chance to prepare for. But mm -hmm. if I'm preparing for, uh, even when I do consultations, because I do a lot of work with businesses to help them think about rebranding, repositioning, because I'm looking at it through the lens of an orchestrator, as a conductor, of how to make this part, this melody, live with this rhythm, right? And this rhythm to harmonize with the melody as well, right? So I'm, I'm looking for integrative success. I want integration and I want success. And that's something that I want to be a part of and that I'm passionate about. So that's what I'm always looking for. And to answer your question, I practice like crazy. And then they, finally there came to a point where I could pretty much my fingers landed where I heard my ears went, them wanting to go. And it got to the point where I didn't even have to look at the keyboard. And then I could look at other people's hands and I was so secure playing, I knew my instrument well enough where I could also now be free to observe others. Okay, right? okay. I, I think what's really important, Ben, is that ultimately we're here to help each other. We're here to collaborate and we're here on the planet as human beings to human beings. How do we raise the level of the water so that all boats rise? 
I'm very much into a win-win thinking and mindset and adding value. That's a big part of what kind of drives everything I do. And that's the way I feel about music. And I think I, I, when I look back at, at my career, I think the reason I've been able to work with so many people of, of so many different cultures, like Prince is really different than Sergio Mendez, Brazilian, right? Or Carlos Santana is really different than Madonna. They're really different kinds of artists. They, they, they have different genres, right? But I believe that um, if you come in with very big ears, and how do you make them be the best they can be? And that's what I do in the world of business. Yeah. So, so as you're talking, I got a question here from Matt Robson, and it's, uh, has Freddie, Freddie, have you ever froze up before hitting stage, and what do you do to calm down? So that's a question, but can I just put a spin on that? Please. When I think about that, I think about the 10,000 hours. And then I think about those of us, you know, who live in corporate America and we're trying to raise, you know, raise the tide in our own way and put our handprints on the world, right? And I certainly care about that. But then what's our 10,000 hours? Like, what are we really practicing if I'm, in, if I'm a leader in a business, right? And, uh, or I'm a salesperson, or I'm an engineer, or I'm, an, I'm a marketer. Like, what are my 10,000 hours so I can just watch the hand? That moment with Stevie Wonder yelling at me, I froze up. <laughs> That was a very embarrassing moment in my career. It was, it was a song I should have known and I wasn't prepared, but it was, it was a charity and nobody gave us a song list. So I didn't have the advantage of pre, a preparation to prepare for that. That was, a, so I froze up uh, to answer Matt, I froze up. But what saved me was I knew enough of the landscape. I had that mindset that, well, Two out of three of the things I find on the keyboard will be correct. That's something you know, because if you do the 10,000 hours, you know you can keep your hands on the steering wheel and not fly off the road, right? It's one of those moments. So my hands are still on the steering wheel. I'm not quite going in the right direction, but I can still not crash the car. So I didn't freeze up and not do anything. I stayed in flow. So I think that's the answer to Matt's question is I didn't actually freeze. I, my heart stopped because I was with somebody who was a living legend and I felt bad that I couldn't deliver being a professional artist. But then I stayed in the game and then I didn't freeze and then I recovered and I was able to get into the flow. It took me about a minute though and it was terrifying. Right. I, I know when I tend to freeze up, it's when I'm afraid of public speaking. You know, I grew up with a, a speech impediment and people used to ridicule me as a kid and and like and so like every time i'm ready to go speak on on stage and i have to do that as part you know I, and i do it so re i'm reluctant about it i hate it i'm not good with words you know sometimes i can't even string two words together um so like when i look at people and i'm wondering do ten thousand will ten thousand hours you know help me you know talk will, will that be the thing that's is that the antidote or almost what you're saying is like lean into it like, fuck, lean into it, call it out, acknowledge it. You, you oh. I imagine if you had had a drum teacher earlier in life that told you to look to, to, to observe a lot and okay. gradually get you into the observation of what's happening around you. Right. And you kind of learn by watching others. That's one of the key ways we all learn. And if maybe someone had said, you know, don't worry so much about it mentally, think about the energy around you and lock into it. Maybe, maybe that would have helped that particular part of your 
10,000 hours. Okay, but so here's the thing for all of us now, you bring in the pillars of music and the power and magic of music into our lives, into the lives of people outside of music. Is that, is that fair? Absolutely. Okay. So if, if, when I think about that, I think about what it means to make music with people and we learn, we, all of us gain this expertise, whether it's knowledge, information, solutions, engineering, pro, you know, answers to problems, figure out the solutions. And there are these, all of these individual skills. What we are not fostering in that drum example is someone teaching you how to do things with people. We suck. And I learned that because why is it that my buddies who are musicians find that they have to play music to go discover that magic? I think that sucks. I think it's like if somebody goes to yoga and that's a one hour reprieve every day where they feel magic, but they don't know how to take that yoga outside the yoga studio. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes, well, you're talking about how do you take your passion or the thing you love and apply it to life, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. have, you know, don't just leave it on the yoga mat. You know, I, uh, I exercised with my lady this morning, uh, Simone, and we, were, we, we did our, our workout and and stretches and yoga and we were guided by a, a very good friend of mine lanre who took us through all these things and i just want to say i brought that i i brought that with me in today's talk it's that exercise is with me right now and i i think it had to do i want to give my love to to my to my trainer to lanre who who got me in this state of mind so we, we can choose to bring it with us or we can forget about it I think that we are we are better when we can bring pieces of our own energy to one another. All right. Well, let's jump into that because I want to talk about how we do create harmony with each other. Mm. And like the thing that people can do when they play music together and you drop into that zone where it's like magic and I like a drug is better than any drug. It's the real drugs. Real drugs. How do we bring that? Like when we're sitting next to somebody on an airplane in an Uber ride, walking down the street like when we're in business, but uh, hey, Matt. Yeah, yeah, that, that was a good answer. I, I think it's, sometimes I feel like it's the fear of, of being so passionate about something sometimes that it's hard to disconnect. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. That's, so a, that's so, actually so a brilliant point. Sometimes, I mean, even though you've got the 10,000 hours and you really worked at this, you just feel the weight of the world. And I think I talked to Ben about this before, so. Yeah, uh, well, sometimes the creative side of us, the passionate side of us can be so, you know, like we're, we almost are, are drinking our own juju juice, right? We're so high on what we have found to be our passion. And all yeah. of us on this call, and I see a lot of people, I see Cindy and Devin and Emily and Greg and Jason and Candace and all kinds of people on this call, and I can imagine that everyone on this call, and I can't see everyone's faces, but I'm just feeling the energy. And I can imagine each of us has our area, like you're mentioning, Matt, where we have a high level of passion. And sometimes if you walk into a room like, God, you know, this is something I love and believe in. My favorite band is Devo. Well, maybe nobody in the room knows who the hell Devo is. But you're, you're, you're like, how could you not know who Devo is? They're the amazing band that did all these things in the 80s, right? By the way, I'm not a big Devo fan, but it doesn't matter. If you walk into a room with that, that exact focus, you're, not, you're gonna alienate everyone else who doesn't feel that. So I tend to think of music in a very, 
I've, I connected to the one broad skill of listening. Because the one thing music has in common with business and in life is our ability to be present for one another, right? So right now it's, um, it's 11.27 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, May 14th, 2020 in Los Angeles. And right now I'm on this call with all the attendees and Ben's tribe. And I feel a sense of honor and a sense of privilege and a sense of fortunate and good fortune to have this slice of time with everyone on this call. Even though 98% of the people on this call are strangers at the moment, I am interested in how we can use a collective to make harmony. So I, I, I do, that's something I walk into the room with. Even though I can talk shop about music in a very deep way, I'm, I'm interested in the connectivity of the team, the tribe, whether it's in person, sitting next to them on a plane, sitting next to them on an Uber, or being with them next to them in a Zoom call. So I think, I think it's a lot of it is mindset. And when you come with that attitude that, oh, you know, this is a little bit of like, you know, Eckhart Tolle, you know, the power of now. I mean, now's all we got. I, I have no idea what's going to happen at 12 noon. I have an idea what's going to happen 32 minutes from now. But I'm not exactly sure. So I better make this time I have with Ben, and I'm looking at Ben right now, and, I'm, and I see you, Matt, and I, and, I, and I see the other people on this call. This moment is more important than anything else ever, because it's all we got. And I, I, I feel that in this pandemic that we're in the middle of, we need to live in the present as deep as we possibly can. And that's when we can bring all of a sudden, the 10,000 hours of mastery each of us have in our own way, because all of us have 10,000 hours of mastery in some form or another. This is the time to like shine the light on each other. So I don't know if that answers your question. Do you have pro like, what are your, what's your process when you find like say something's going on? Because obviously everybody's got things that happen in their lives, right? It could be family, it could be anything. What do you find like, and, and obviously I'm comparing this to your stage thing, if you find your mind wandering, which like we're talking about being present and not thinking forward too much, I tend to always think two weeks ahead, a month ahead and worry about stuff that hasn't even happened yet, like you just said. And it's, it's kind of worthless, but it's inevitable sometimes. But have you found yourself doing that where you just can't shake it? And what do you do to sort of shake it off? Yeah. So, um, you, you know, it's interesting. You, when you said I, I tend to think two weeks, a month down the line, um, what you're talking about when you talk about time, time, in the world of music, that's rhythm. Melody is the part that everyone sings and everyone sings along with. That's the melody. That's the lead. Harmony is the, is the collective notes that make it feel emotional. But rhythm is this. So you just said, hey, Matt, you said, uh, Matt, you just said, uh, when I am, uh, kind of fearful or panicked and I worry about what's happening, I tend to start thinking about what's gonna happen two weeks from now, a month from now. You start having a sense of trepidation about the future, right? Now, what I try to do, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a master of this at all, but in my years of playing rhythm and tempo, I know that if I can find rhythm in everything I'm doing, 
or most of the things I'm doing, I can take control of it to somewhat. I have some, I have handles that I can grab it with, right? So for me, we all have our to-do list. We all have our calendars. We all have our, I gotta get X, Y, and Z done by the end of today, by the end of the week. I need to get my list together before the week starts. These are things that a lot of people do to master timing. For example, on a Sunday night, before you start your week, something I've been doing for many years, and a lot of, a lot of my colleagues like Brendan Burchard and uh, even going back to Tony Robbins, they'll talk about things like, get everything out of your brain onto a piece of paper of what your to-do list is. And get, that's basically it from a musical standpoint that set your rhythm before you wake up Monday morning. Get a setting. Get, all right, Monday morning comes. I got my list. I prioritize what has to get done and I will pursue that. And that is the rhythm that you dance at. And when you do that, when you, when you preload your game plan with the tempo that you're gonna operate at, productivity starts to happen. And the fears, you know, you get the checklist, oh, God, I can take that fear off the table. So that's the way I kind of relate rhythm to productivity. I don't know if that helps you at Matt, but that's what I, that's sort of my hack, if you will. Yeah, I guess like a, almost like a metronome, right? Bringing you back to a... Like a metronome, beautiful. Yeah, the, the, those old metronomes that swing side to side, you know, and they tell you what the beats per minute is, right? And, uh, you know, everyone should know, you know, the human heartbeat has a beat per minute. It's around 76 beats per minute. That's a calm human heart. That's a good place to be in a state of calm. And, and by the way, when it, get, when it goes really, really high, like 120, 130, 140, maybe you're running a marathon. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're in, in the middle of something that requires a ton of brain power, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a lot of fear and anxiety and your body's taking care of you. It's okay. But 76 beats per minute is kind of where the heart likes to be. You know, so that's the way rhythm, music, and timing, and even songs, and that's a much deeper subject, Ben. We can can't well, all that. But give us well, when you're talking about like timing and then um, melody, and, I, and I'm thinking about notes, you know, one of the things that we've talked before about and I'm really trying to get this because I usually get this wrong, is not the notes, but the space in between the notes. Mm -hmm. And if anybody else is like me trying to fill up space, it's kind of like the natural thing to do, but there's space between the notes that you talk about. Oh, yeah. Well, that's where all the magic is. It's the subtleties, you know? People... You have to think about the things that human beings love so much. And usually what we love has to do with the nuances of something. Like, God, I just love to go to that restaurant and have that, that apple pie they make there. They know, it, it, I don't know what it is. They use something in the dough. It's very flaky. It's not too sugary. The apples are fresh. It, God, it's like, God, they use way too much butter, but it tastes so good. You know, like all those things. That's the space between the apple pie and your mouth, right? That's all those things you're anticipating. You're salivating over it before it hits your mouth because you're feeling the space before it actually hits you. When a speaker is making a point to you 
and if I, let's say I'm talking to, to all your, uh, everyone in the campfire, right? And let's say we're all standing around a campfire, literally. Let's say it's 10 o'clock at night and we're all in a circle. Ben's in the center and we really are having an actual campfire under the mm-hmm. stars, right? And I have the privilege to speak to you, right? If I start talking to you about, well, music is the most powerful thing in the world and it's something that moves our emotions and takes us into other places that da da da. And I just keep going with that level of speed and my words running together, guess what? You guys are gonna be looking at me like, oh God, ah, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna hear this guy, right? But if I look at you and look at everybody and I say, and I'm in a circle, right? Hey everybody, welcome to the campfire. And I really wanna talk about the space between the notes and what it means to really be connected and how we can use the thoughts in our head and put a pause button on it and make every word we say have impact. It's a completely different rhythm. There's a lot of space. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah. I watched the, um, you know that movie with George Clooney and he's in Hawaii and his wife has an accident and is dying in the hospital and he has these two daughters that are he's kind of he's disconnected he's this attorney i forgot the name of the movie but y'all probably know it someone type it in the chat and there's this um but he's not really connected with his daughters he's just not a real connected guy and by the end of the movie the descendants thanks anna and then there's the last scene in the movie it really got me i i didn't expect to cry but i cry at most i I cried when I watched what, you know, White House Down, which is a fucking action movie. Anyways, um, the last scene, his wife dies, so the daughters, you know, lose their mother, and he's sitting there on a couch, and he's he has a little pint of ice cream, and he's just kind of eating his ice cream, and then his daughters are sitting next to him, and they're not talking to each other; they're watching TV, and they just pass around the ice cream, and. Nothing was said, and then the credits come up, and like really struck me. So, I remember after that, it was like the day after I watched that I had a, had a therapy appointment with my therapist. I go in, I was like, "Mark, man, I got to talk to you. This thing really messed me up." He's like, "What?" I was like, "Well, he had this, you know, the scene in the descent. He's like, "Yeah, I saw that too." He goes, "Ben, do you relate to George Clooney's character?" And I was like, "Not really, because I never felt disconnected in that way." But what I found so moving was how they connected in that moment without saying a word. And when you were talking about the space between the notes, I think the thing that moved me so much is how badly I want those, you know, my daughter's now, my oldest daughter's out of the house. My youngest daughter's going up to Northern California if they open up school. So she, you know, moving off to college and I want more of those moments. But I guess we try, I was thinking about what Rob, what Matt was saying, thinking about what you're saying, the space between the notes. And sometimes the magic happens when we're not even saying a word. We're just there and yet we try to quantify, we try to articulate. If someone says, hey, I got this, this silly dog a few weeks ago. And someone, a friend of mine said, Ben, why do you, what do you like about the dog? And you know what's crazy? Mm-hmm. I would have had, I, this is a hundred pound German shepherd who's destroying my place. My list of what I don't like about the dog is actually bigger than the list of what I like about the dog. But you know something? Doesn't matter. I lo- it's, it's unsaid. 
So I'm just, those are the things that are coming up for me when I, am, am I talking in crazy land right now or is that the space between the notes? That's the space between the notes. Uh, we have other expressions in our culture that are like what you're talking about. One of them is the silence is deafening. It's so loud because it's silent. In other words, you know, you get into that awkward moment in a meeting, you're talking to people, there's 30 people on the call and someone drops a pretty big nugget, a big chunk of news, something negative happens and nobody wants to say a word. That's because every mind is racing and thinking of how do I, what do I do with that? That's the silence is definite. Yeah. That's the space between the notes when it backfires. But that's important too. The other one is so the other term that's the space between the notes. We're talking about the big, almost the dark side of it is, hey, should we address the 800 pound gorilla in the room? Right? That's the same thing. Somebody, there's something really obvious. Everyone's talking about something over here, but we're not addressing the most important stuff. Yeah. That's also the space between the notes. So as a musician, that has to do with everything those of us do who aren't musicians. If your job is to play the keyboard, your physical body touches these things and makes them. You have a keyboard. I'm, I know you have a keyboard. Right? Uh, I do, actually, I do. Um, right? But you, your thing, your craft happens when that happens and it creates a frequency and it's, it creates, we feel it, we hear it, the vibrations. But yet the magic happens sometimes when you're not hitting those, the keyboard. You're not hitting the That's keyboard. a crazy, like, thing, like bonkers, paradoxical thing. But I think we, we need to think about that as parents, as engineers, as salespeople, as leaders. Um, I, know, I know Tyler had one. He has a question if you want to pop in. Um, sure. Too, and then we could just we could keep this thing flowing. And guys, whoever wants to go, just, just raise your hand. What's coming Absolutely. up for you, Tyler? Yeah, I know uh, we were talking about rhythm and really getting into it. Like, I coach basketball on the side and it's always when you talk about the spaces it's like slow down let things come to you and then when you slow down that's when things become super clear and things are more obvious um, and then also in basketball it's like when you get into that rhythm that's when you're hot everything's going in everything's going right and I, I know we talked about the 10,000 hours but is there something you can do like instantly that, that gets you into that rhythm or boost you into that realm of I'm hot every shot's going in or it's like every story I tell these people in the meeting are loving it like they're buying what I'm selling like is there a way to get into their um, into that state of mind that you've practiced or that's really helped you I think a lot of it has to do with um, it begins with your desire to step into that zone do you want it really bad I want to jump on that court with six other guys and I really want to I want it. I love it. That I think passion is a big part of that. What right? do you mean? You you feel passionate about it. Like I'm a I'm I'm not much of a basketball player. My my 14 year old son loves basketball, and I've learned a whole bunch about where the NBA is at or where it has been at these past few years because of my son. Okay, um, but I love basketball as an as an observer, and I like to play a little bit of it. And when I jump on a court, I'm not very good at it. But when I'm playing with him, my son, I have a passion because I want my son to see that dad still has kind of got it. And that dad could kind of maybe 
I can, I can actually shoot from the side and make a basket, right? Or I, can, I know how to use the backboard a little bit, right? I might get a three-pointer, but I might not, right? Um, or that my layups are getting a little bit better, right? So I like to show, I, I, I know that when, when I have this, my passionate skin in the game, I'm much better. If I just go in and start playing basketball with a bunch of guys and we're all sweaty and we're all trying to just kind of horse around, that's not going to score. But when I'm, with, when I'm under the circumstances of really trying to step up and I'm passionate, my game goes a lot better. So I think a lot of it is passion and desire. Yeah. And that's you know, the you know what's interesting about passion and desire and you know in my experience being an athlete it's such a metaphor for me because i used to like go at it with a hammer like try 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 then you're moving really fast and you're like you're out of sync with you know the other four four people on the court and i feel like sometimes is you know selling is the career that got me into the into the business world like it was the only career i really knew when i was 22 years old i I was a poli sci major, so I had no career waiting for me. So I was like, I'm gonna get into sales. And what was interesting, and I just remembered this as you said that, not only did I not have 10,000 hours, I had nothing. I was a 22 year old kid, like I didn't, have, I didn't have any money. My parents weren't gonna support me. I had to get a job, so sales was a way I could go make some dough. But I remember at the time being so naive because I didn't have anything that I was like, you know something, what, is my, what, is my, what are my intentions? I remember saying, you know something, if I'm like homeless, dude, I'm cool. Like I'm straight. Like, cause I, I have no money. Like if I'm like, if I lose or I don't like, I'm cool. So I went into early in my career, just kind of going, I'm going to go get an MBA. My MBA is going to be, I'm going to go, go on sales calls, uh, selling telecommunication services, and I'm going to go learn about people's life. And if I sit down with a lot of business owners after a few years, I'm going to, I'm going to get, that's going to be my MBA. And I would just sit there with people and I'd be like, yo, Freddie, like you got a piano, you got some artwork, like how do you run a business? Like tell me what, and without exception, like without fail, I was engaged in these like, in a really cool career. And I, when I look back on it, I never felt like I was selling. But I knew what my passion was. It was, it was almost as if my passions were the same as my intentions and they were pure. They weren't about I need, I want, the finish line. And and then I feel like years later, I gained expertise, ironically. And through that expertise, I started to say, well, now I know what to do. I could codify that shit. I could go, okay, I sit down with somebody. I sit down, I put my arms here. I take out a pad of paper. I ask them a question. And now what was this fluid thing turned into this, the notes were the same, dude. But now I wasn't creating harmony anymore. There was no collective communal exchange of ideas and beliefs and vulnerabilities and moments. The moments weren't magical anymore. And I think I suffered. I was I, literally this first company I worked for, I was a top rep out of hundreds of people in this company. I was like 23 years old. Mm. And then I went to this, I, I went the other way. So I th I'm wondering if what that, that idea of passion is, and I don't know what the word is right now. What you said, was very critical. You said at 22, you just started listening to people. You basically showed them how much you cared about them, right? Right? It, once, you, once you show that you care, then they start opening up to you. If they feel that they're getting sold something, and you're pitching something to them, people just shut down, right? So the first part of your career, you dive into your passion 
and your, your ability to integrate your ears and your heart with the client on the other side of the phone. And I, I, think, I, I think what you're opening up here, Ben, is so important. You're basically saying, I have empathy and compassion. You're 22, you, there's another part of you that's like, hey, I could be homeless, I could not have any money in my pocket, but I care. Yeah. And I'll still be okay. So A, you're not afraid. That's what you just said. I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably confident in my own skin. And I feel like I have enough people skills at the age of 22 to get on a phone and become a, a top sales rep for a company. That's amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. And then the expertise kicked in and started to become, for me, my enemy. It's almost as if the unintended consequence of all this expertise, I know how, before I didn't know how things work. So somebody would ask me a question, I'd be like, yo, let me get back to you tomorrow. <laughs> and I'd be like, ah. And then now the answers, paradoxically, are the things that become the enemy. So I know you share this model and I don't quite get it. So I'd love if you spend a couple of minutes, this model where you look at the pillars of music and how those pillars of music can change what non-musicians do, whatever it is that we do. We sell, we lead, we parent, we friend, we, you know, I wanna be a better son to my, my mother, you know, better friend to my, you know, that the pillars can really um, change the way we do what we do. Sure. Can you give that a crack? I, I can give that a crack. Um, there's a, I'll give you kind of the, and for everybody, there's three building blocks uh, in all music. You have the melody, which is usually sung by the lead singer uh, or, you know, or the lead instrumentalist. So the melody is kind of the spotlight piece of music. Then you have the harmony, which are the chords that are usually played on guitar or piano or a collection of other instruments like strings and woodwinds and things like that. So harmony requires more, two or more people coming together, whereas melody is only one primarily person. And then you have rhythm, which Ben, as a drummer, you know, it's about rhythm and timing, right? So the drummer is the rhythm. And if you look at melody, harmony, and rhythm, and you break it down into how does that apply to daily activity? And this is something that we dig real deep into in Life in Tune, which is something I've, I've been doing now for a couple decades now, all over the world, about 82 countries so far. Melody is the lead. So I, I connect melody with leadership. Harmony is two or more notes. So I use harmony to talk about collaboration, right? Everyone on this call, the opportunity for harmony is very high, right? The next thing we have to honor is tempo and timing, right? Rhythm. You know, we have about an hour at this campfire, so our rhythm is paced by a 60-minute clock. That's the rhythm in this particular moment. But it turns out that everything in life is a blend of melody, harmony, and rhythm. There's a lead idea. There's the potential to rally around that idea and collaborate. And then there's the timing, you know, the march of, of time. And with that, understanding those three aspects of music, you can start to plug in how your life fits. Am I singing my own melody, right? Whatever your passion and purpose is, whatever gets you out of bed and goes, that is what I see my value to the world. That is what I believe in. 
That's your melody. When you own that, you're living your melody, right? But you don't want to be, you know, isolated on an island by yourself, right? So you have to build the tribe, which is what this campfire is ultimately about. How do we build harmony, right? So harmony is how I take my melody and I combine my melody with everybody else on this call and brother Ben, and how do we make, you know, one plus one equal 11? Because one plus one doesn't equal two. When you're really in harmony, it is a quantum growth. It's always about one plus one equals 11. Uh, finally, rhythm is get it done. Get things done. Set up that calendar as Matt, as we were talking about with Matt earlier this morning. Get that, get that to-do list done on Sunday nights so that when the week starts, you're rocking. You've got your tempo and your timing going. And that'll get you to the score. And the score is the desired outcome. The project, your business, your relationships. The score is the end result of the proper use of melody, harmony, and rhythm. So are you saying that the sum of the melody, harmony, rhythm equals score, which is what happens as a result of these three things? And I'd have to imagine that there's something that would bind these three things. Yeah. Connectivity between. There is. There is. If, if you think of it like a math equation, like melody plus harmony plus rhythm equals score, right? Okay. The plus is the ability to listen. Listening skills. Listening to yourself listening, like meditating and shutting down your, shutting down the chatter in your brain so you can hear to what matters most, listening to others so you can create harmony, right? And listening to the drummer. Watch my hands, Ben. <laughs> it's that lesson you were talking about. Right. That gets you in sync with everyone else. When, right? when you reflect on your life, was there one of those elements or the bonding agent? I'm almost making sense of it this might be lame the bonding agent is the listening that, that puts us together that you felt that you were not that great at what was the toughest one for you oh i, I think uh i think i think when i land I, I think in the different times in my life when i know i'm just i'm in the, i'm in the wrong place you know i walk into you how many times have you walked into like a party or an event or a cocktail and you just know in you know in 30 seconds it's not going to go right, but you don't leave. Yeah. I've had a lot of those, you know. That's when you're not listening to yourself and you know you're in the wrong place, you know. It, yeah. It's like when the, when the score, I'm not thinking about, I'm thinking about score in terms of music, not score in terms of like scoring points, but what we get out of these experiences, if I'm getting you. Like for me, the one I think about, and I'm curious if everybody can, we can almost crowdsource this in the chat. Think about which out of those is, is the toughest for you. For me, I think it was harmony. I think it was this idea that like I would, I was like, I lived like a fight or flight life. I'd retreat on my own and be like, you know, take my ball and run off the court and just, you know, or I would just get fight. I would just flail, right? But both of those two things are a pathway for disconnection, not connection. So I know that for me, my orientation was like a caveman, type A personality, meat eating carnivore dude, right? That's how, you know, with this Western civilization notion of competition and scoreboard and fighting and, and, and I just feel like some of these mainstream things that a lot of us have adapted are actually maladaptive. Like for me, it was not creating harmony. Like what it's really like to create harmony 
was the tough one for me, the collaboration with people. And so you guys, in your chats, what, what is it for you? Slugging your chats out of the rhythm, harmony, melody. What's the tough one? And then let's create some harmony right now. And I'm curious where some of these, these things come from. Yeah. Slug into the chats here. What's the tough one? Slug into the chat, everybody. Don't be shy. <laughs> Do you have your chat open? Good. All right, here we go. I can see the chat too. It's great. Yeah, jump, jump in and people. Um, All right. So Candace is the first. Where are you coming from? Uh, Candace, enable your uh, melody for Anna. Candace was the first. Can you, uh, Tyler, enable her? Mm. And guys, even if you have kids screaming in the background, whatever, it's all good. Oh yeah. We can make the dogs and the kids and the, and the gardener be part of the harmony. All right. Candace, why harmony? I, I would say that harmony is probably the toughest for me because I always want to be the leader. I always want to be the one who has the most knowledge and is in charge and knows exactly where everything is going. So I have a tendency to try to do that. And then that's when the listening creates disharmony. It's like, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't, I'm not very good at listening sometimes. A lot of that, I believe, is, is understanding how to step back. Not easy to do, especially if you feel like you can see the answer. And especially depending on the circumstances, right? I mean, if, you, if there's a fire in a building and you've got 10 seconds to get everybody out, there's not a lot of time to like figure out what to do. You just gotta leave. You gotta scream, you gotta grab, you gotta guide, you gotta do whatever you do to save lives. That's a different thing. But I'm saying if you're leading an organization and you're trying to get the best out of your people, let's say that's the context, that's a different kind of leadership. And I, I'll give you a quick story. When I used to play with Carlos Santana, uh, Carlos, uh, there's an organ solo that you can find. I think it's, I posted it on LinkedIn about two weeks ago. And I'm playing uh, Evil Ways, one of his most famous songs. And we're playing in front of like 80,000 people. And Carlos Santana has been playing for like 55 years. He's a living legend. He sold over 100 million albums. He's a true icon and a leader. But even someone who has led so much success in his career, there's a thing that he does where he steps back after you know, the song starts and he steps back and he just starts playing little chords, which are harmony. And he plays harmony and he looks at everyone in the band and he lets someone else take a solo. And the person who's taking a solo is leading. The spotlight is on them, they're playing a solo and he's back there complimenting them. Um, so what I, maybe one idea to maybe leave with you, Candace, and maybe Greg as well, is, hey, what does my band, my organization, my company, what does my band sound like if I step back, let go of the reins for a moment, and let somebody else in my organization take a solo? What does that look like if they take a solo, right? And something beautiful happens because everyone in your company and organization goes, hey, Candace is an amazing leader, but she steps back and she lets Sheila step up. Wow, that's great. She's a listener. You know what? I have 10 things I've been wanting to tell Candace for the last month, 
but I've been intimidated by her, by her aggressiveness. But now I see that she's got empathy and compassion because she let Sheila stand up and say something. So you know what? I think I'll email her later today and share my idea with her. And all of a sudden, your ability to let go of the reins and let someone else take a solo gets rewarded by other people in your organization saying, hey, Candace, that was so nice what you did. Can I add, add a contribution to the ideation of this new direction we're going in? I think leaders that are able to have an empathetic positioning, let someone else take a solo, much more effective. As a parent, one of my favorite times as a parent was when my kids were like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, and I used to coach their soccer team. And I knew nothing about soccer, so I bought every book on how to coach girls soccer. But for the first couple of years, because my oldest daughter, Zoe, you know, I, had, I coached her first, man, I had everything, all the plays, all the practices. I would go there 15 minutes early, set up cones. Everything was just like organized. And like, I was so hardcore. And I remember I'd fight with my daughter, my oldest daughter a lot. She would be like, dad, stop coaching me. <laughs> just like, no, I'm your coach, you know? And then my, um, but like, you know what was interesting? The harmony, the sidelines, the parents were kind of disconnected. The refs were just like arguing with that. It was just like not in tune. The score was just off. And then I remember two years later, so now it's my youngest daughter, Abby's first time to, you know, to have her dad coach her. And I started the practice off, the very first practice off with the same MO. All right, this is what we're going to do. It's the script. I have the script. I have it all, you know, I spent more time architecting this practices than I would my own career. And then right before the first practice with my youngest daughter, Abby, we get there and she's like not paying attention to me. And I yell at her. And she starts crying and she's so petite and she goes, dad, stop it. I don't want you to coach me. I just want you to be my dad. And dude, I was like heartbroken. And I remember that practice, like throwing away the playbook. The, I had my sheet and I keep it in my back pocket. And I had, and, uh, and I remember we sat down with the girls cause I was just like, I had crushed the soul out of my daughter and I was, a, you know, and I sat down with the girls, we made a circle and we just stretched and we spent the whole practice just with harmony, the girls were talking about becoming friends and it was a circle. And then what I noticed was that became a ritual. And you know, some, the melody didn't go away, the rhythm didn't go away, but there was like balance restored in the universe. Like 30, you know, 30 minutes of practice was the circle and the girls loving each other. And the other 30% was the fundamentals. But what I did notice was in the games, all the parents had such a better time. We all became friends. We all went to pizza afterwards. And we always joke because that team actually was like this band of misfits, like the clunkiest set of girls. We did not lose a game. It was the only championship of my life. And that was the score. But you know something bigger than the score was the families and those girls probably remember that experience in a way that was just like, wow, what a story. You came in preconditioned with this game plan. And here's the score, and here's what we're gonna do. And step one, two, three, four, five, letters A, B, C, D. And you realized, because you listened to Abby, she laid something on you. She said, just be my dad, come on. And you realized, hmm, that was the pivot. And look what happened. You invested in the harmony. And here's the interesting thing about that story. Sometimes the music 
is not all about the melody, harmony, and rhythm being perfectly lined up to achieve something. Sometimes certain pieces of music are all harmony, a little bit of rhythm, a little bit of melody, but harmony dominates. And for that particular tribe, that's what won the game and that's what won the tournament. So I love that story, Matt. Well, I feel like in today's day, you know, we're all looking for the vaccine. And I think, you know, and I know some people in the, in the really heavy sciences, and I've taught, told you this before, the harmony is going to win out. Like there's a lot of experts and they're going to find a solution, but it's people working together in this interdependence and this communal living. And harmony is going to be the vaccine that probably saves the world because without it, we have companies that are doing horrible things, raping our environment. Oh, yeah. Uh, inequality of wealth. Um, people mistreating each other, factory farming, companies doing bad things, and harmony is when we look at each other in the eyes and we have each other's backs. Um, so, um, yeah, I love you, brother. Um, tell people about Life in Tune and where they can find you. Oh, thank you, Ben. Well, first of all, it's been an honor to be with you, and thank you for inviting me to be with your, your beautiful tribe. Listen, it's a pleasure to meet all of you. Um, if you go to lifeintune.com, that'll tell you a lot more about what we're doing. Uh, there is a book coming, and uh, that, that book will be like sort of an owner's manual to navigate the pandemic that we're in and how we can be more about rhythm and resilience and renewal. So uh, Life in Tune is coming, and uh, in the meantime, stay in touch and um, look forward to being with you anytime, Ben. All right. Thanks, Freddie. So lifeintune.com. That's yeah. it. Freddie, I love you. Love you, brother. Big All, right. All right. Later. Stay well, everybody.